welcome to Writer's Voices with Monica and Caroline. I'm your host, Monica Hadley, and with me is my mother and co-host, Caroline Kilborn. And hello, everyone. <laughs> I hope you're having a beautiful day, unless you're in Florida, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, or other places where the hurricane might be affecting. But we're out yes. here in Iowa, and it's beautiful and sunny, and fall, of mm-hmm. course, is our, is our best time of year. Fall and spring. And the trees are starting to turn. Did you notice that? The trees are turning overnight. Oh, wow. Now, well, we've been having cold yeah. weather. It's gotten down in the 40s yeah. recently. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, Caroline, would you please introduce our guest today? <clears throat> yes, I will. Today, our, our guest is Tova Friedman, and uh, uh, her uh, co-author is Malcolm Brabant. That's right. And the, the, the title of this book is The Daughter of Auschwitz. And it is a very, it was a very moving and horrible story, though, because we, we have no idea what the Jews have had, had suffered. And this, this little girl and her mother, and then uh, God, God saw that the father was able to get back with them because they were separated first. It's just unbelievable. What happened to people? And I was watching last night. I was watching uh, uh, America in the in, in the, the Holocaust, and America didn't do a whole lot a lot for them. Didn't do a lot for the Jews. I was I was really surprised that we didn't do more. So, you know, it's it's a piece of history that everybody needs to know about. And so that's. I- my and, <laughs> and Tova is 84 years old and lives in Highland Park, New Jersey. She's one of the youngest survivors of Auschwitz and uses her vivid memories to write and speak against anti-Semitism and prejudice. She was the director mm-hmm. of a nonprofit social service agency for 25 years and continues to work as a therapist. Welcome to Writer's Voices, Tova. Thank you very much for having me. So my first question is... Um, why now? Why did you write this book now? I mean, this story was just needed to be told. But why now? You know, I, can, <laughs> I can answer you. We have a saying, if not now, when? <laughs> why? Yeah, right, you know, right. I mean, correct. there isn't that much time left for me or people my age. And we are the last generation that we are the witnesses. And there are less and less yes. of us. Um, fewer and fewer, I should say, are, 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 are alive, and fewer than that are able and willing to talk. So I had been wanting for a very long time to write uh, my memoirs, but, you know, life has its way of becoming extra- I'm working, have fit kids, grandchildren, just sort of a very, very busy life. And I, mm-hmm. I started many times, but then I met Malcolm, uh, in 2020, we were we both went to Auschwitz. They had a 75th Auschwitz commemoration, um, like a conference where all the uh, those who could and were well enough Holocaust survivors came with their families, and there were also a lot of reporters from I would say from all over the world who could come there. And he was one of them. And he came from uh-huh. England. I came from America. And that's where we met. 
And he's a he's a war correspondent or was a war correspondent who witnessed right exactly and he witnessed genocide in Bosnia and um, right yeah and he uh, so what but so you met him but what you know what made you decide to write this memoir together well what happened it was sort of a long process in the sense that a lot of people interviewed me um and uh, he he uh, said to me i would he worked for pbs you know pbs in america mm-hmm. he's, he's their their uh, european correspondent so he said i will do a, a small piece on you and i said great and he um videoed me and so forth and asked some questions. And then when I saw this on PBS, I was very pleased because it was done, in my opinion, very well. He integrated a lot of things because I remember how he um, how he videoed and there were a lot of disturbances. There were, there were 500 people there and they mingled everywhere and we could hardly find a, a space, you know, a quiet space. And yet he managed Mm. to even um, enclose the atmosphere. So I thought, oh, this is really pretty good. And that's it. About a year later, because we were were in COVID, so I worked from the house. I assume he also worked from the house. I really don't know. And he called me and he said, you know, we should really write a book together. And I said, oh, a (laughs) book together. You're so far away. You know, you're in England. I'm, I'm in America. You're a man. I always think men may not understand women well. I'm a woman. You're Christian. <laughs> I'm a Jew. It's sort of an odd couple. <laughs> and he said, why don't we try? You know, it seemed like against all odds. And But the only thing we had in common, we were both stuck in the house. Mm, you know, but yeah. except that yeah. he, he slept when I was up. And I slept when he was up. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was like, and then he, we, we wrote, he wrote the first, the first um, uh, chapter. He said it to me. I said, oh, Malcolm, it's, a little girl doesn't talk like that. You don't know children. You don't know little girls. So he said, all right, all right, then you write your part. So I rewrote the section that I was talking since it came from my mouth. He did other sections of that same chapter. And when he gave it to a publisher, the publisher loved it. I think we were both surprised. <laughs> well, I can see why the publisher loved it. And I, I will say that it's the writing style is seamless. I couldn't tell I, I, if you, you know, said which what is Tova writing and what is Malcolm writing? It just seems like one voice. Well, I'll tell you what, we, we tried very hard for that because I would take his sentence that I thought was too male and too military because he's used to um, doing, um, ba- talking about battles. You know, when he goes to, to all these military places, I would take that same sentence and and if it was my my speaking, I would uh, use uh, my words with some of his images. So sometimes a sentence had both of us. Mm, wow! Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We we did it. We began seeing that the only way to do it is rather than 
each person will do their own thing and it will look like two different people are writing. We're going to blend it together. Do you think so, that you would have ever been able to have written your memoirs without him? No, never. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you why. I just didn't have the, the push. Mm. You know, you sit down to write something and then you have a client in an emergency, a work. I had two clients call me today, in fact. And, and, and then you say, oh, I got to put this away. I'll do it. I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, yeah, tomorrow. Well, something happens tomorrow. <laughs> but right. because he, he, could, he would say to me, we need, by the way, we were given, we did it all in seven months because that's all the time we were given. I still don't know why, by the way, why they pushed us. And they pushed him because the publisher was in England. So they got in touch with him and said, listen, whatever the two of you are doing, we want this by this and this date. So he called me, or no, he texted me, and he said, hey, we need this, such and such. I said, oh, no, Malcolm, I can't. I have to block. He said, well, do the best you can. And I did. And he, I said, here. He would send me a piece and say, look it over. What do you think? So I looked it over. I said, oh, it's good, but it's too masculine. Let's let's put a little bit more child into it. Is this who I was? And I would call my son, and my son would read it and say, okay, you know, the way you can make it is leave this. This is his image. It's a pretty good image. But put in this because I know you, Mom. You would never say things like that. <laughs> I said, I said, you're right. So I changed what I would say. What, everything that came out from my mouth is me mm. because I, 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 I wouldn't allow anything else. In fact, I was so worried about it that I wanted to be third person, but the publisher refused to accept it as a third person. Uh -huh. So I said, okay, fine. But my mouth, my talk is me. He said, okay. <laughs> You're laughing, huh? It, it was really interesting, this process. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And, well, it worked. That's all I can say. It worked. It did. Yeah. It certainly did. Yes. He tried to come to America, but he couldn't get, he, could, he wouldn't, they wouldn't allow it because of COVID. Mm. So we mm -hmm. only saw each other two or three times on Zoom. Oh, my. That's a, a challenging collaboration. Right, exactly. Wow. So it turned out so well. Did, was it hard for you to go back and revisit these horrible, hard. horrible things? Oh, very, very hard. And there are a lot of things I left out because I said to myself, "Oh, I can't, I can't say this. What will my children think?" I mean, oh my God, they, it's enough. I can't put any more. But had he been with me? I would be able to talk to him about it, you know, mm. but I didn't, I couldn't. So we, we sort of, I, I had to think two or three times before I said something. So the process would be part of my conscience. Wow. So, mm -hmm. um, did your kids know all of this before? Uh, yes, everything. Mm. I, I'm the same kind of a parent that my mother was. They know everything about everything. <laughs> I don't, I don't cover, I don't believe in raising people in an ideal world because it doesn't exist. And then we, they have this ideal image, you know, uh, dead people go to heaven, 
and angels are waiting for your grandmother to come and and all that. And then they go into the real world and they don't sometimes they don't know what to do. I know I'm a therapist. Oh you know, and wow. they come and and they come with such such naivete. Oh gosh. I thought that this is this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do no, know. <laughs> I do know. My my kids sort of forced me. My son, in particular, um, he didn't. He never. I don't think he ever believed in Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy. I mean, right. Four years old, he goes, "Mom, exactly. I know you're the Tooth Fairy," and I go, "Okay, so can we just pretend a little while longer?" <laughs> but why? Why for bother? the fun? Why for the fun of it. <laughs> You know, I love you so much, and losing your tooth is a sign of growing up, and I know we all want you to be growing up, so it's a little gift Yes, for, yeah. for losing it. Why not say that? Why do you yeah. need a tooth fairy? That's true. That's true. And and like I said, I don't think he ever really believed in Santa. And I, I actually never really pushed it either, because I agreed with you that you have this myth, and then at some point the kids find out that it's that it is a myth, and they may think, well, what else are mom and dad telling me that isn't true? And then they don't exactly. believe the things that they really do need to believe because they are true. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. So my kids, when my, my little child or grandchild was three, they first noticed my number and they say, you're not supposed to write on your hand, you know, Grandma? <laughs> I said, you're right, but I didn't do it. Bad people did it to me. And that was it. They never asked too much. Sometimes they say, what bad people? I say, you know what? When you're a little older, I'll tell you. And then they forgot all about it. Wow. But they knew right away that I didn't do it. Wow. You're listening to Writer's Voices, and our guest today is Tova Friedman, author of The Daughter of Auschwitz, My Story of Resilience, Survival, and Hope. So you were, uh, let's see, were you six when you were when Auschwitz was liberated? Six years old. Six and a half. Exactly. Six and a half. Yeah. And there were very few children your age there. Very few. Uh, well, we had a whole barrack of children because our barrack was saved, but from my town, where where my family came from, only five children survived. Wow. Oh, gosh. Out of thousands. Right. Out of a lot. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. When, you, when I read this story and all the times that you just narrowly escaped death, it was just, it's almost unbelievable. <clears throat> well, you know, I spoke to other survivors recently, um, a few weeks ago, I met a young survivor. He said the same thing about his life. Everybody who was a child who made it, it was just a miracle because they, their whole purpose was to destroy all children. Every child on, on, in, in Europe, every Jewish child in Europe because they didn't want any witnesses and they didn't want us to grow up and tell the world. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, you're so... The fact that you did survive is is a miracle. Do do you have? I mean, what do you attribute it to? Just luck, 
Yeah. Well, no. Luck and a combination of my mother's, of my mother uh, teaching me how to behave and uh, my listening. Hmm. You know, I, I, when she said be quiet, I was quiet. When she told me stand still, I stood still. You know, she knew what, what made, um, when I would be in danger and how I could not be in danger if I didn't move and didn't cry and, and then nobody would pay attention to me. So I should be as invisible as possible. And I did that because I trusted her because she always told me the truth. It's exactly what you said. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. know the parents tell you the truth, then you listen a lot, much more than if you thought that they were lying to you. Wow. It was amazing to me how she helped you hide with with the, the, the dead bodies. I mean, it sounds horrible, but that was really brilliant. No, that the was that fine. You did that. That was the least of my issues. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it sounds, say, it sounds dead, horrible. But a dead body doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But how did she? How did she know to do that? How yeah, did she that was brilliant. How did she know to do that? Everybody knew that. Really? Wow. You know, you live in a culture. How do you hide? Where is there a place to go? How do you? How do you not get shot? Wow. Or smash mm -hmm. to death by somebody's rifle. They would smash people to death with their rifles. How? By not being visible. How can you not be visible? If you've got a dead body on top of you and you're very skinny to begin with and you don't move, there's a chance they won't see you. Mm. So this was when um, you were in Auschwitz and the Russians were getting close and the Nazis yes. were basically trying to empty out the camp before the right, Russians exactly. got there. And they did that by exactly. either murdering people or making them march into Germany. And exactly. Yeah. And so you were able, you and your mother and, and a number of other people were able to hide long enough that the Nazis left and you were there when the exactly. Russians came. The yeah. play, the, the, the um, goal of every day was to make it to the next day. That's yeah. all it was. It wasn't next yeah. week, next month. It was just, if I wake up tomorrow, then I'm a day ahead. Because mm. eventually somebody thought, this has to stop. This has to end somehow. And the longer you can hold out, then the better chances you have. And you came so close there near the end. Right. Do you want to tell, you want to share that story? Well, I was just going to read a little bit, not that story exactly. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I could, I could tell you the story uh, because I, I wanted you to, I wanted to part, it's up to you really, on how my mother comes and gets me and convinced me to go with her. Okay. Uh, to, to hide. Yeah, what, you want why don't you walk. read that part for us? Okay. Normally, all the barracks were locked and bolted. The black elder 
must have, the block elder is the person who took care, who took care of us. Must have been in such a hurry to leave whenever that was that she hadn't bothered to count us or secure the door. I was tempted to sneak outside, but the noise was too scary. None of the children dared cross the threshold. It was as if a force field was restraining us. We had been conditioned to obey commands and couldn't move without them. Suddenly, the door opened. We all jumped. In walked a woman I didn't recognize. She looked terrible. Her features were distorted by malnutrition. Her face was little more than a skull covered in parchments thin up parchments and skin. Her eyes had retreated into their sockets, but her body was puffy. Salvation did that to people. It made their flesh swell. Tufts of dark brown hair sprouted from beneath a piece of cloth fashioned into a scarf in a futile attempt to seal in some warmth. The woman looked at me. Paula, she explained, Oh, there you are, my child. Relief swept over her face. Her torn cheeks muscle relaxed and her eyes sparkled. The voice was sweet but familiar. So were her sad green eyes as well as, as her faint smile. I stood up uh, on the bricks, confused. She, she looked more like a scarecrow than a human being. She sounded like Mama, but was it really her? And what was she doing in my barrack? Oh, you know. Uh, she was supposed to be in the women's section. I had been taken away from her five months earlier in the high summer after I felt sick. I had heard her voice close by when we walked to the gas chamber and when we walked back again, but I hadn't seen her face. In fact, I, I had but not seen my face for such a long time that I had forgotten how she looked. I had become accustomed to not having a mother or father. I had forgotten that I had anybody on this earth. I thought I was all alone. But now maybe I wasn't. I was confused. The woman noticed my hesitation. Tola, it's me, Mama, she said with the biggest smile. I was incredulous. Is it really my Mama, I wondered. I jumped up from the brick and, and ran up to her. I felt a smile spread across my face from ear to ear. It was the first real happiness I had experienced in months. She crouched down, held my face, and looked into me straight into the eyes. Then she wrapped her, her arms around me and kissed me. I hugged her back tightly. She smelled like my mama. It truly was my beautiful mama. Prisoner A, 27791, my mama. Uh, th that was her uh, tattoo number. Oh. I listened to me, Tola. <clears throat> they are rounding up people to walk to Germany, all the way to Germany, hundreds of miles from here. Look at me. I'm going to be shot. I am going to die. I can't walk. Look at my feet. She pointed downwards. Mama wasn't wearing shoes. Her feet were swathed in rags. They looked as though they had been bandaged in a hurry. Uh, the undersides were saturated 
and moisture was leaking upward. Mama's calves and ankles were swollen, a sure sign of starvation. The camp was full of scarecrows and skeletons. Maybe you will make it. You might survive this march, but this is not a world for children. I don't want you to survive alone, so let's try to hide. There's a chance we can survive together, and if we die, we'll die here together. Will you come with me? Yes, Mama, I said. Yes, I will. Okay. And and then she and then she takes me, you know, very dangerous. That's it. Right. She, uh, she takes me to to the infirmary, and she chooses a corpse, where where she where she tells me to to slide in, and sort of get very close to the corpse, and she covered me up and the corpse only the head was visible and and the and the hands of the corpse were outside the blanket and she told me to breathe very very slowly and sell very shallow breaths and into the floor not up upwards i know what she was saying and i did exactly that and when the germans came to check because they were even shooting corpses, people who were like unable to get out of bed but were still alive. They passed, they looked at me and they didn't see anything. They just saw the corpse of the woman and passed me by. And, so, and other people hid, other people hid with other corpses. Wow. And your mother did too? Yes, exactly. My mother also chose the corpse. And she, and she survived too. Right, exactly. Wow. And they left. Every, you know, corpses were used by so many people. I mean, people would jump into a pile. There was like a gigantic uh, grave full of corpses. If, 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 if you were able to, if you were lucky, and you would go all under all these bodies and just leave a tiny, tiny bit so you could breathe. Wow. And, and, and sometimes they would be buried alive because they couldn't get out fast enough. Oh, man. It's just, how do you, it's hard, it's just hard to even fathom that these things actually happened. And it's amazing to be able to talk to you who Well, you know, that's why I wrote this. the book. Yeah. 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 That's why I did it, because people, uh, there are people who say it didn't happen or couldn't have been as bad as people think it is. It's a myth. But but my tattoo attests that's not a myth. And that's why I wanted to do it before I die. Yeah. Really. How many survivors are still still alive? Did you have any idea? I really don't know. From my town, they're very few. Yeah. I don't think there are any. They're just the children, maybe two or three people, kids. Wow. Uh, everybody, don't forget, there were from 15,000 people, 2,000, I mean, 200, uh, 200 came back. From 15,200 in 1945. So how many can there be? This is why 
second generation, the third generation are writing stories. Yes. Hopefully, their grandparents told them. Yes. Yeah. That's why there's so many books right now. Yeah. So what's even more miraculous in a way is that your father also survived. Right. That's a miracle. Yeah. Utter that miracle. is indeed. So what was right. so when you you were together for quite a while in a in a labor camp. Um, well, oh yeah, in the get yeah. First in the ghetto. In the ghetto and labor camp. They yeah. did not separate the families yet. Yeah, but then um, you when you went to the extermination camps, they right. were separated. How did your how was your father able to survive? I don't. You know what? I never. I don't know. Mm. I never asked him about Dachau, mm. and that's a terrible thing because I I. I never really asked him, and I'm sorry to this day, why I didn't ask him what happened to him. All I know that he was hurt. It was hurting. I assume it's like everybody else. You know, they had the same plan in every camp. If able-bodied people would leave the camp and go to work, and people who were sick were killed. There was no, there wasn't anything going on that was unusual. Except here and there, I, I'm reading about it, you know, myself, about some people who would sew for the Germans, which I didn't even know about. I am now learning that there were orchestras while people were going to their deaths. They were playing violins or something like that to accompany the people going to the gas chambers. Jeez. So you actually were taken to the gas chamber. Right. Right. And I don't know what happened. But I met another man two weeks ago who said to me, he, he's, he was, he's my age, but he d doesn't speak. He just started speaking now, I think. He said he gets too many nightmares. Mm. Um, he said that they ran out of gas. Now, he was in Auschwitz. He's, and I asked him, can you tell me the date? Can you remember anything? He says, no. Mm. Maybe that's what happened. We we don't know why I was sent, and I waited a long time with other kids, and then they sent us back. He said they sent him also to the gas chamber, he, him and his father, because he was with the men's side. And when they, they got to the gas chamber, there was some kind of a, a letter that arrived, and it said, we just ran out of gas. Oh, wow. Now, <laughs> in the book, you... you made a or you said that possibly someone had decided right at the time when you were in there to stop gassing because the Russians were so close that they didn't want the evidence that's a, yeah, of it. That's another theory. Yeah. That's a theory. We don't know. Wow. Wow. So in the You know that's the problem. In the yeah. book you have a number of uh photographs and Yeah. And some of them are, you know, after, you know, after liberation. But there are some, like there's yeah. one of your father from before and several of your father yeah. from before. How were you able to find those? You know, it's a miracle. <laughs> one of them were my, I, I'm telling you, about, I don't know, maybe two or three months ago, I get a, a, an email from in from the Holocaust um Memorial Museum in New Manhattan, uh, downtown Manhattan, and it says there was someone 
who has a picture of your father, they won't reveal who they are, and they won't give me their email. I got it from the from the museum. We gonna they send us the picture of your father and his request of to go to Danzig because I remember he told me when he went to Danzig. Uh, and that's why I was born there because he fell in love with the city. Mm. I don't know if you know where Danzig is. No. Are you familiar with? No, it's a very, it's northern, way northern Poland. It was an international city, very sophisticated. Uh, uh, you needed like a, almost like a passport to go there. It was, it was, and it, it was, it wasn't Polish and it wasn't German, but German was spoken there a lot. Hmm. It's a very interesting history of that, and uh, and he applied to go there. You had to apply, and somebody somewhere, would not disclose where, found his application and his picture, oh, and my. they sent it to me. Oh my! Yeah, I, I, now that's a miracle. I tried to find yeah. out who the person is. Maybe he has more information. Couldn't get any. And there's a picture one of, of his them, theater group. Yeah, the theater was always yeah. Well, in in um, every single town in Poland that's been destroyed, uh, people have no place where to mourn their dead. You know, they're all ashes, and nobody knows where they where they died. I mean, you, you sometimes. So what they did, they had a a book of remembrance. That's what it's called, book of remembrance. And everybody who was stayed alive, who, who, who was survived, wrote about the people that he lost and how he remembered his life was before the war and important memories of the war. And each town did that. There must be hundreds of these books. And in one of mm. them, uh, my father wrote about that about his feelings, and he had a picture of himself in that book of his friends who were the, his theater people. And do you so have I any idea how he got that picture? Oh, that was before the war. Oh, yeah. How did he get that picture? You know, I never asked him. <laughs> Some, Somebody no. must have had that picture. Yeah. I yeah. want to tell you something. We didn't talk so much about it. I just tried to get on with my life. Don't forget it was a teenager. I just wanted to, you know, be an American and, and, and go to school and so forth. So, but that's a good idea. Oh, I tell you, people went, oh, that's another thing possible. A lot of people went to Israel just before the war started. They, they were the clever, the smart people. And some of them had all kinds of pictures there. Ah. Mm. So, so I got one picture of my mother when she was 18, 19. Because when I went to Israel, somebody said, I have a picture of your mother when we were kids. Oh, my. And he, and he gave it to me. But these people didn't go through the war. They were lucky enough to go to Israel. Yeah. And, of course, that's a whole you know, other was... story. Uh, we had a book not yeah. too long ago that um, dealt with that, too, about how the uh, – British basically prevented very many Jewish people from going to Israel before. Oh, the absolutely, war. absolutely. It was very tough, okay. very, very, very tough. Ships were drowned, people were imprisoned, 
because there was a mandate and they re- they had a quota. The whole history of so, so the Jews really had very very few very few places to escape to escape to. Yeah. Okay. Something that really bothered me was <clears throat> after after the Germans were defeated, you were still persecuted by people who thought that it was your own fault that you were that you know I, I just that the Holocaust happened. How? Why in the world would you would they think that? I don't. Could you tell me which section? What you mean? Oh people gosh, I don't. Read? Yeah, when you went, went back, back to, to your hometown and they and you were greeted yeah, with yeah. You know, Poland. Yeah. Poland was a no, I very anti Semitic. I don't know if it's oh. still now. But very, oh. very anti Semitic. And they were and they were very happy to get rid of us and take our possessions. So they were afraid ah. that we returned that we would want our houses back, which very few people wanted. Because you mm. didn't want to live there anymore, and it was yeah. a very hostile environment when we came back to our hometown. Wow! I mean, the neighbors—oh gosh! <laughs> the neighbors that my mother thought would welcome her looked at her and said, "I thought Hitler killed you all. What are you doing back here?" Oh God! Yeah, that—that <laughs> that must have really been hard. That—that that was. Very, very hard. And I was afraid to go to school because they threw rocks, called me dirty Jew. It was a we only stayed in Poland for a few years to see if anybody else was returning from the Mm -hmm. abyss. If anybody stayed up was alive. You're listening to Writer's Voices, and our guest today is Tova Friedman, author of The Daughter of Auschwitz, My Story of Resilience, Survival, and Hope. A lot of the um, time that you write about was in the ghetto um, before you were sent away. And can you talk a little bit about that time of your life? Well, that time of I, I was there from the age of two, which is very vague in my mind, until the ghetto uh, was closed, liquidated. I think I was four and a half or so, because after that we went to a labor camp, and I was there from four to five. Uh, I remember, well, I, the hunger started right there and then. Absolutely, that you can't forget, no matter how old you are, and the constant shooting, and the scare, and my my uncle, I remember, who was killed, and the constant thought of selections. They called it actions, action, the German word, actions, and I knew from what I heard, you know, at three, four. You could, you, everything was said in, 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 in open. My parents didn't cover up. And, and when my grandmother was taken and shot, and I, I knew that I would never see her, and I never will see my Uncle James anymore. Um, that was told, my mother told me that. I think my father told me I won't see James. And then when he came in and he told my mother that he put his parents on a truck and they were, they were shot, 
um, the, the, all, all the elderly. You see, people talked all the time. And I heard everything because my parents felt they, don't, they didn't want to cover anything up from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. From the first time when I had a conscience of what's going on, I was I was I was not prevented from hearing things. Wow. And you remembered. I remembered some. Don't forget I was there for years. Yeah. So I only remember snatches. I mean I can't I remember the most dramatic. I remember when I stood with my mother and I, uh, I, we had to look through old clo- clothing that was being sent to Germany. My mother told me that these things are being, these are the things from the dead people because they ca- confiscated a lot of things before they put the people on the, on the trains, on the cattle cars, and these mm-hmm. and those they shot, and all these were to be mended, cleaned, and so forth, and sent to Germany for their own people to wear, for children to wear. I knew that because she told me. And she was working at it, and I was standing next to her. I didn't have to, but where else would I go? Yeah. and there, But then there came a time when you couldn't go to work with her. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? When was that? Well, that was when they had taken all the children away, and there weren't supposed to be any children in this camp. But you're, you're oh no, that's a different. That's camp. a different that's camp. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's, that's labor camp. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's the time when only the the parents worked because it was an ammunition factory, and they didn't ah, have children okay. go to the ammunition. Yeah. You see, that's when they when they did um, they worked in this thing called the. The yellow, the uh, yellow, uh, what was it called? Uh, the yellow death, because it was like a yellow um, powder, I think, for explosive or something. Look, as long as you could work, you could stay alive. Wow. Work was a was was the the permit or the key to 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 be alive a little bit longer on this earth. Now you so that's when I didn't go right. That's when I was on my own. Yeah, and so you were playing with other kids, but then all the other kids were yes, taken away, right. and you had right. And this... Then I had to be in a room by myself. Right, exactly. Yeah, you weren't able to go out then, for months. Right. No, no, it wasn't months. It was weeks. weeks. Okay. It, yeah, as far as I remember. Okay. I, you know, it's interesting that when you don't talk to people, your memory isn't as sharp. Mm. The reason I remember so much is that my mother used to talk to me a lot ah. and explain what was going on. But in the dark room, she wasn't with me. So it's a little blurry that whole time. And you had no it was dark. books to read. You had no toys to play with. What? What <laughs> reading? Yeah. You know what? Let me educate you. You seem wonderful. I didn't read till I was 12. What reading? Wow. What toys? Yeah. Wow. I got to put you a little bit into that era. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. Now. Tell us a little bit, Tova, about. Um, about how you recovered from from this trauma. Well, I'm still in there. I'm oh. still talking about it as if as if I'm 
I'm there. I, I, it's, it never leaves you, by the way. It never leaves you, but but you do things with it. <laughs> Today, my 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 company over, and one of my kids couldn't feel. They were adults. They're not kids. They're 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 in their for, late forties. I mean, come on. And I say to my son, "You're going to leave something on your plate?" <laughs> and he said, "What?" <laughs> I said, you know, there are people, there are people who don't have that. <laughs> she says, yes, mom, yes. Mom. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing because I laughed also, oh, and he laughed. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said, I'm throwing it out in the garbage, mom. I'm not putting my leftovers in the refrigerator. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. To to. I, I put mine in the refrigerator to throw out in five days. <laughs> right, exactly. You're right. You're right. Uh, yeah, that's right. But uh, you're right. Yeah. But what I'm saying yeah. is you, you're always – one of those things, first, I was very lucky. I got married very early, had a family. That takes your mind off all that horrors. I, I love the story of how you and your husband met. Could you – can yeah. you tell us that story? Well, you know, for a hungry girl, a sandwich was symbolic, although I wasn't hungry anymore. I came to America, and my mother put me into a, a Jewish school so I could make sure I don't forget my religion, for which I almost died. She wanted me to know what I almost died for. And, and the bell, I was in Sunday school. And the bell rang, and everybody walked out, and a little boy, dark little boy, he was 12, came back and said, did you bring lunch? He spoke in Yiddish. I said, bring what? I didn't know what lunch was. And the bell rang, and I didn't know why a bell rang. He says, let me go down with you. He took me down, and there was a drugstore. And at the counter, they still used to make food. I don't know if there any more drugstores left like that where you could mm -hmm. eat in a drugstore. At the counter, yep, yep. <laughs> At the counter. So he ordered a sandwich, and I was so impressed that he was so nice that I went home and I told my mother, I just met somebody I'm going to marry. That's <laughs> that he was so kind was, to you, and he, he was not right. a an immigrant, right? He had been... No. Yeah. His parents, he came here as children, yeah. babies or something. Yeah, yeah. And maybe his grandparents were immigrants, but not. But he, not. And, but he, he was kind to you. Right. And he gave me a cheese sandwich. <laughs> yeah. And you continued going to knowing him from seeing him at that school. Right. But then exactly. what happened? Well, he, no. Well, he went away to MIT. He he went to MIT. He finished high school very young. Went to college, and and we lived not far away, in Brooklyn. So I used to walk there to see his window if there's light in his in his <laughs> window to know if he's back from school or not. Because he was in Boston, and I was in in um, in Brooklyn. So it, we we he, I didn't. He said he always kept in touch with me. And by then, my mother died. You know, I had my own issues that I didn't think about him too much. 
But then when I graduated college, he came within a month of my graduation from Boston, and we renewed our relationship. <laughs> so did he know from that early time, too, that you were the one? He said he did. Oh, bless him. <laughs> he said he did. Oh. You know, I said, uh, did you know? He said, I always knew I'd marry you. Oh. Oh, God. And you and together you had <laughs> four children. Right, right. And eight grandchildren. Right. Right. Wow. And you did spend, you did end up spending some time in Israel, correct? Oh, yeah. Very, yeah, 10 years, 10 wonderful years. So what took you there and what brought you back? Well, what took us there was Zionism. We always felt that I did, and he agreed with me, that after the Holocaust, we need our own country with nobody pushing us around and so forth. And we came back there. Israel had a, very, had a period of very uh, poor economic few years. After, this, after the, the, Yom, the, uh, was it? Yeah, the Yom Kippur War mm. in 73, very bad. And I taught at the university, and they fired half of the staff. They just didn't have money, and he lost his job. And we came here really for for economic reasons. And I thought it would be good for the kids to learn English. They didn't speak English. And to meet some of the family that lived here. Did, it, it, mm -hmm. it, it, we thought yeah. we'll only be here for a few years. But you ended up staying in the U.S. Yes, right. You know, one thing leads to another. <laughs> Did any of your kids ever move back to Israel? We go all the time. Mm. My grandson just spent the summer oh. there my, this year. Oh. My other grandson spent last summer. I go, I tr well, now with COVID, but I, I try to be there twice a year. Wow. So yeah. tell me how you, how you came to be a therapist. Well, after I, I taught at the Hebrew University, black literature, the literature, I, um, I came back to New Jersey, and I said, I've got to do something. I can't just – I always felt I owed the world or something. For, I don't feel guilty for being alive, but I want to do something. And then I went back to school and got a job right away. It was very easy because I was a little bit – I was older than most people. So people sort of respected that. Mm. I think my first job was uh -huh. when I was in my 40s. And uh, in America, as a therapist. Wow. And I stayed, and I'm still doing it. It's interesting. I, I was going to ask about this idea of survivor's guilt. Um, so you you said yeah. you don't have, you did not ha suffer from that yourself, but I'm sure that you've well, had patients no, that did. But some, no, I really feel an obligation. And I think the people who really depends how you define it. I don't know if you can define it as, as guilt. I sort of feel an obligation to talk about the million and a half children who were just murdered. Little children, if you can imagine that. Two year old, one year old, babies just torn apart and 
and, and or gassed or starved or drowned, any way they could think of getting rid. And I'm, I'm thinking of all those innocent souls, and I say I have to always talk about them mm. so they're not forgotten. And uh, it's I, I feel sort of a, I don't know, it's a good thing. I, I don't feel guilt that I'm a, I feel that I, that I have a job to do on this earth. Yes. And that's my yes. job. Yep. So um, guilt paralyzes you. Obligation spurs you forward to do something. That's a very wise thing to say. Yes, it was. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Well, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed that she was able to to remember that and able to tell us. I mean, it's so important that we know we that we know these things. Yeah, I'm grateful to people like you who um, who spread the word. I mean, you're you have all these listeners. I mean, I'm talking to one person or two people, and meanwhile. There's hundreds and thousands of listeners who are getting it. Is that correct? You know, I have no idea, but I think so, because between the radio stations and everything, I think you probably have at least hundreds and maybe thousands. Yeah. Well, so you're doing it. You you are helping me do my job. You're doing part (laughs) of it for me. I'm serious. You're part of remembering. You're helping the world remember those that have been murdered. Wow. Well, I'm honored to be able to do this. And I will will say that your book is hard to read in some ways because of the the horrible things that you experienced. But it's also the flow of the the narrative makes it um, makes you want to keep reading and um, and find out (laughs) find out what happens. And, um, you know, yeah, yeah, I I. I thank you in my name and in Melko's name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did it. You absolutely did an excellent job. You talked a little bit about um, the the thing that your father had written in the book of and the and, and the a memorial in the book. memorial book, and the you book you incorporate a, a lot of that in through here. Well, it was he was a great writer. Yeah, he he wrote beautifully. And I want to tell you a miracle. This is another miracle. The book is written in Yiddish. And I said to myself, when I retire, which I don't know when since I'm still not retired, <laughs> um, I, I will I will translate it from Yiddish to English, which is very hard to do. And lo and behold, about 10 or 15 years ago, somebody translated it from Yiddish to English beautifully. Mm. And I have copies of it. And I did. So I didn't even have to struggle. <laughs> and I understand you write too about um, about going and reading the Yiddish, and you you know, and still being able to read Yiddish after all these years. Oh no, I'm better at. Oh, Yiddish. you're better at Yiddish. I, okay. I classes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's a, I I I belong for a while. I'm going to return to it to a group that 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 that's a, in New York City. We zoom. Very, very uh, intellectual novels and poetry in Yiddish. Uh, oh, with people who oh, are like brilliant. Wonderful. Wow. wow. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. It's not a dead language. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, 
A lot of universities are teaching it. Yeah, I'm better now in Yiddish than I was years oh, ago. Oh, well, good for you. Good for you. Um, do you have any any last things that you would like to share with our listeners? Oh, I just want you to, well, of course, I want you to get the book. But most <laughs> of all, I want you to, well, that's normal, right? Right, but right. But most of all, I want you to, to remember, please, remember those yes. that aren't with us. And be very, very weary, uh, 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 well, very careful of hatred. Mm. Because hatred mm -hmm. can lead to exactly what happened to me. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because you, 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 one step after the other. You know, somebody once said that people who are able to burn books, which they did in Germany, will eventually be able to to um, burn people. Oh, wow. And that's exactly mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. this type of process is very slow and we don't even notice it. From hating somebody to wishing them dead and kill them. Wow. I mean, I, I mean I'm yeah. saying this. Just, we just got to be careful with, yeah. with hating something we don't know or we don't understand. Yeah. Right. Caroline, do you have a, a quote for us? But our nation is so fortunate that this survivor of the horrors of the Holocaust is willing to tell us about it and tell us what they suffered. And <clears throat> because when we do not know as a nation, as a people, the worst things that were done in history, it's very possible that we're doomed to repeat it. Exactly. Exactly. That's a very good quote. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tova. Thank you, Caroline. And see you all next week on Writer's Voices. Thank you for Bye -bye. having me. Bye.